Welcome to another episode of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Urich, along with... Jim Massessa. Today's episode features The Graduate. Jim's going to take us through the official Criterion summary and specs. One of the most beloved American films of all time, The Graduate earned Mike Nichols' Best Director Oscar, brought the music of Simon and Garfunkel to a wider audience, and introduced the world to a young actor named Dustin Hoffman. Benjamin Braddock, Hoffman, has just finished college and is already lost in a sea of confusion and barely contained angst when he becomes sexually involved with a friend of his parents, the indomitable Mrs. Robinson, played by Anne Bancroft, before turning his attention to her college-aged daughter, Catherine Ross. Visually imaginative and impeccably acted with a clever, endlessly quotable script by Buck Henry, based on the novel by Charles Webb, The Graduate had the kind of cultural impact that comes along only once in a generation. This movie came out in 1967. It was 106 minutes long. It's in color. Uh, The audio is mono, and it's in 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio. Uh, And we are watching the Blu-ray edition. And if you're following along at home, this is criterion number 800. Nice. Yeah, did you pick up on the mono audio? I actually think we were watching the 5 to 1 mix. Okay, yeah, I thought it was in stereo. Yeah, I mean, we're watch, uh, we were watching it on a 5 to 1 um, surround sound setup. So Well, it says and I could hear m- surround. monorial. Right, mono. Monoral. Yeah, monoral. Yeah. All right. So it said on the cover here, uh, Simon and Garfunkel did most of the music. Mm-hmm. And really, there were only like, three songs of theirs i think there was sound of silence which was played often right opening credits ending a couple times in the middle and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence then there was scarborough Bay? Is that the name of that song? Uh, isn't it? Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, yeah. Time. Time. Yeah. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. Scarborough Fair is... Scarborough Fair, yeah. when I say Scarborough Bay. Yeah, and then Mrs. Robinson. And Mrs. Robinson, okay. which I heard, I don't know if this is true, that that song was written for this movie, Yep. but it was one of the last songs, I think. Like the, the movie was getting, they were you know trying to wrap it up and he had only written one song for the movie at this point. And they had, he had the song, but it was originally, I think called Mrs. Roosevelt about like, Modern times, you know, he kind of lists a couple things in the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Mrs. Vanderbilt. Not Mrs. Vanderbilt. Leave me alone, Mrs. Vanderbilt. I've got plenty of time of my own. So then, I think I think it was uh, the director Nichols told him, "Why don't we just switch the title from Roosevelt to Robinson and like." That's a wrap. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. Again, I don't know if that's true. Read it online, so it probably is true. I would say if it's online, it's true. Yeah, I mean, this was probably the first time I've watched this completely all the way through. I've definitely seen bits and pieces, especially like the church scene towards the end. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most famous scene in the movie. Yeah, and I've seen it referenced on enough other things. I know The Simpsons did that scene when I think Grandpa's getting married. It's been spoofed a lot. Yeah, but he like falls through the window while he's banging on Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I, I was surprised how how funny it was there was a lot of humor thrown in not just like funny because it's an older movie and like it's funny now but actual on purpose funny yeah no it definitely was way more a comedy than it was anything else i think in my my opinion i mean there's some pretty dark stuff in there and 
but any to, like, good comedy accusations at one point and that just kind of like came out of nowhere yeah true and uh dustin hoffman i mean he's supposed to be playing like a 20 year old kid here but mm-hmm. The movie came out in 1967, and in 1967, he would have been 30. So he was probably like 28, 29 when this was filmed. I feel like he looked a lot older than the character he was supposed to be playing. Really? I, I mean, he so. looked, for Dustin Hoffman, he definitely looked young. Well, but but that's only really because you we're probably used to seeing him older right. in roles. Yeah. And, I mean, the description I just read made it sound like this was his first movie or maybe his first major movie uh yeah it was his breakout role i think the next movie that he did that was a big one was midnight cowboy with john voight which isn't there another bus scene in that movie too the famous scene in that movie is the one that was improvised where they're walking down i forget and i forget where they are in manhattan but they're walking down and the guy like some somebody had like driven onto this onto like through the barricades or whatever and Hey, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Up your shoes, son of a bitch. You don't talk me that way. Get out of here. That's the famous scene, and it was like completely improvised. Like oh, that was not supposed that. to happen. Well, he drives up on the sidewalk in this movie too. He's driving pretty nutty in this whole movie. Yeah, it's kind of funny how his car, his car, is its own little character in the movie. There's a lot you can kind of yeah. read from that, especially as you get towards the end of the movie and it's like really dirty and beat up and you can tell he's right. just like doesn't he just clearly does not care about the car i mean you know that from the very beginning because he just is like here you drive it when mrs robinson asks uh and it's an alfa romeo which i don't know if they're still nice considered car. really uh, fancy but i mean that's like a sports car i don't know if back yeah. then they but i don't think they were that expensive uh, i mean it, so it's a convertible it's definitely like a sports yeah. car they do make nice car i mean they still make they make lower end stuff but they also make nicer like sports cars still today yeah what you just said about the car looking like pretty beat up by the end. When I noticed that, it like shifted my thought on this movie. And I wrote down, this is a story of a rich kid who always gets what he wants and doesn't care who he hurts. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't I, know. I don't know if I would agree with like that. Like he gets this fancy car. He just treats it like garbage because he doesn't care. Like he's super rich. He's like throwing money at people in different scenes uh, where he's like, yeah. ah, I'll give you $20. Just let me use the phone. He, like, ruins two marriages, like, because that's who he is. I get that's not the intention here, but you can you can kind of read into it that way. Uh, yeah, I would, I would kind of disagree with that, because I think it's almost... It, it is definitely, you know, he's definitely a rich kid, but I think it's more that he kind of got everything that he wanted, and we're seeing him having gone to college and come back and realizing, like, oh, crap, now what do I do? Yeah. And he, he while well, yeah, he's taking advantage of it. He clearly he doesn't want the car. He's like I don't want it. Right. He says that multiple times. And by the way that he takes care of it, he clearly just doesn't, you know, he's he's almost not taking care of the car or you know, not wanting it out of spite. Like he just he clearly does not like his parents or he he comes back to his life and realizes he's going to be realizing that he every he has had everything he he's like he's becoming self-aware. He's he had everything handed to him. I would say the way that you made that summary makes it seem like it have, no one has ever seen this movie. They would watch the movie and be completely shocked with what they saw because I don't – this scene you're talking about where he's like throwing money away, it's like he's desperate trying to – it's more about his desperation to uh, try to get in contact with Elaine that he's like, I'll give you a 10 – like give me a dime. Here's $10. Here's $20. It's not that he's rich and he doesn't care about money. It's more his desperation for needing to get what he needed to get. Did you ever see the movie or read the book, The Giver? Uh, a long time ago. So I saw that movie. I mean, it came out a couple of years ago, the movie version of it. And that, again, like when I watched that, it kind of changed my view on the story. I'm like, oh, this is a story of these spoiled kids who think they know better than the adults and ruin a perfect society because they know better. They destroy this like utopia because they want to go back to the way the world used to be even though everybody seems to be perfectly happy not knowing about the way life used to be. Anyway, yeah, I get it. Dustin Hoffman doesn't really know what's going on in the world. He says, I'm nervous about my future early in the, uh, when he, everyone, because he's all acting all like, right. neurotic and nervous, and I think he doesn't have any clue what he, he's supposed to do now that he's done with college. And even still, like, I don't think that when you're like, oh, he broke up Merritt, he, Mrs. He did. Robinson seduced him. But... He, he he technically broke up her marriage, and then he breaks up the daughter's marriage. Well, true. That's you could almost. 
I, I could see he just you, has it in for that family. I could see you cutting a, a like a movie trailer of of this movie and portray it as this like thriller movie where Dustin Hoffman is this evil villain. Like I could easily have been done. Right. Yeah. He's just has it in for this family and he's like slowly destroying their lives. You put a right. clip of the dad saying like. What do you have against me? Don't come near me. Right, right. Unclench he your you, fists. He's running away. Yeah. Ben, I think we're two civilized human beings. Do you think it's necessary to threaten each other? I'm not threatening you. Do you want to unclench your fist, please? The daughter screaming and yeah, yelling about rape. Yeah. We should definitely, we should we'll definitely cut that. this movie into that, into but a trailer. You were right. Like In a world. He's talking to his dad and he, and he says, you know, he's uncertain about his future. And he says, I want it to be, to be what? And when he said that, I was thinking, like, is he saying, like, compared to my current life, I want my future life to be different? Or is what he's saying, I want my life to be different than what everybody else is doing? Because that's kind of two different things. And Yeah, I think he wants a different life than what, his, what he was raised in. What his parents yeah. live. Yeah. yeah. Th- that's, that's the interpretation that I took from it. Although he does seem to be content just lounging around in the pool all day drinking beer. Yeah, but I think that's that happens after he sleeps with Mrs. Robinson for the first time. So that's yeah. that's his personality has changed now a little bit. He's maybe kind mm. of got he you know he's almost numbed at this point. I mean, he's numb throughout most of the movie until he kind of meets Elaine. Right. You kind of see that, but this kind of gives him this more more or less this like confidence that oh now he can he's okay just doing nothing, and it's clear that he definitely like just look at what his parents how his parents act and what his parents put him through. Like they dress him up in an entire scuba suit and make him get in the pool and like show it off. <laughs> also curious that he has like, they have like a big party and the only people invited are their friends. Like parents, friends. Yeah. The parents, yeah, friends. he has no friends clearly, but he went to, or if he does, they're not, they're not home invited. anymore or yeah. they weren't invited or he just doesn't care about them. So I, w- you had mentioned earlier uh, while we were watching this, that, do they actually say where he went to college? And no. I, I don't recall them saying East it. East Coast. I, I would imagine, based on the fact that he had some sort of scholarship, he probably went to an Ivy League school, I'd imagine. Yeah, was that the, um, what they call it, the, like, Hoffman Award or something? He had, he had I won? I thought it started with an F. I didn't write it. I forget what it is. I want to get a drink. Then I want to hear all about that thing that you won, that Hoffman Award. Helping him. Helping him. Right. So, it, I mean, it's possible. It wasn't though, like a Fulbright scholarship or something like right, that. It right. was just, it sounded like some made up thing. But it's possible the friend, like he has friends. They're just all from his college town, which is not anywhere near LA. Right. I mean, if you listen to his mom, like reading off his accomplishments, he was like. Captain of the cross country team, head of the debating club, associate editor of the college newspaper in his junior year, managing editor in his senior. I imagine he was probably a pretty popular kid in college like that the type of things they were saying is not someone who just like does all that and has no friends right so this was based on a book by the way charles webb was the guy who wrote this and oh he wrote uh was his wife charlotte no no he yeah he wrote a lot of messages in uh spider silk i i believe when he wrote this book he was only like 22 or 23 Hmm. but he also did write a sequel so there's a book sequel to The Graduate, and I think it was only published 10 years ago, maybe 2008. And from what I've, again, read online, the reason it took so long for that sequel to be published was that when he, I guess when he signed the rights for The Graduate to be a movie, somehow it also included like any sequels. And so he didn't want to publish the book because somehow the movie studio would have immediate rights to produce the movie sequel. And he didn't want to give that away. So I think he's been in like legal battles to try to get rights back for Hmm. the series. Anyway, the book came out like 10 years ago. I heard it wasn't so good. Uh, It follows the marriage of Ben and Elaine and their child and something like their homeschooling. It's all about like homeschooling the child. I think it's called homeschool or something like that. Uh, And they're back on the East Coast. And then there's dealings with Mrs. Robinson, who's now like the grandmother. Yeah. Anyway, if it you're interested, it, yeah, it does sound terrible. We'll put a link in the show notes to the novel you can buy on Amazon. Yeah. Probably. So as an author, this whole story was written around the same age that Ben, the character, is in the movie. So I, I can see the author 
relating Ben to maybe his own life, but there's a lot of other perspectives in this story, adult perspectives that you would think an author of that age may not necessarily have the insight into. It kind of made me wonder when watching this, like some of the adults seem very flat and two dimensional, kind of with the exception of Mrs. Robinson, but his own parents are very like very flat characters. We don't get any backstory on them. Mr. Robinson, you don't really get much of a backstory on. And they're they're really yeah, the only adults. I don't think you really need the only fully fleshed out characters in the whole thing. Like you said, it, it's really um, Benjamin and Mrs. Robinson and Elaine. Uh, Elaine a little bit. I mean, I, I would say that it's really the movie is Mrs. Robinson and, and Benjamin. Because other than that, everyone else. And you don't really need anyone else to be fully fleshed out. It doesn't really matter what everyone, you know, what yeah. their other... I would be very interested in seeing almost the same story, but more from Mrs. Robinson's view, because you get a couple, there's a couple moments where you kind of see, like you get the feeling she has a very strong front she puts on, but then there's a scene where they're talking. He wants her to talk about like her past. Ben does. And she talks about like her college major being in art. Benjamin, why are you asking me all these questions? Because I'm interested, Mrs. Robinson. Well, what was your major subject at college? Art. Art? And then he says something to the effect of... I guess you kind of lost interest in over the years, then. Kind of. While he's talking to her about that, you can kind of see, like, she looks like she's going to cry, but then she doesn't. She just kind of holds it together. And it's like, yeah, what did she give up for this life that she has that she's obviously not very happy in? Yeah, I think, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's that scene itself really is what kind of fleshes her character out to where you really see that she isn't some just, she just isn't some rich woman who's trying to take advantage of a younger person. She's, you know, damaged in yeah. a way. Do you think that, so... She keeps telling him several times she doesn't want him to go out with Elaine. Other than the fact that he is her lover, do you get the feeling that it's she's almost jealous of her daughter? She's kind of at the same point in life where she was when she got pregnant. And she almost doesn't want her daughter to have things that she herself didn't get. Like she doesn't want her to have a life that she didn't have. Yeah, so that I would say that Initially, I would say I would agree with that. However, the fact that they quickly get her married to someone else uh, That's true. Make, makes me not necessarily go along with that, I think. And they made jokes. The guys made jokes about it being like a shotgun wedding, but I don't. Right. I think those are just jokes. I don't think it was meant to imply that she no, was I don't, pregnant. No, I don't think it is either. Okay. Because I don't think she would have just run away. Right. Like that. There would have been, that would have been brought into the story had it actually been the case. It's clear that it's just like, oh, it's a rushed wedding, so it must be a shotgun wedding type, you know, getting married because she's pregnant. So Mrs. Robinson, her whole personality just seems like she craves attention. At the party, she doesn't really seem like she's looking for attention other than from him. But one of the first things she says to him is, Did you know I was an alcoholic? It's like one of the first things she says to him, and it's like, uh, all right, what do you want me to do with that? Yeah, I mean... Are you looking for pity or like what? Yeah. But she's still drinking. Yeah. The other thing is that when she first comes into his bedroom at his parents' house, uh, she's smoking and he doesn't come out and say it, but he's, he's kind of like making noises and she's like, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm, I'm awfully. Is there an ashtray in here? No. Oh yes. I forgot the track star doesn't smoke. But then later when they're, when he's waiting for her in the lobby of the Taft hotel, he is smoking. There's a, before she even gets to him, there's a burning cigarette on the table and a pack of parliaments. He's the only one there. So I, yeah, unless that's like an edit cut, I assume he's smoking. Could just be nerves or whatever. Right. But it seemed weird that he didn't like her smoking around him, but then he's smoking himself. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I actually, I didn't even, I guess I didn't notice that. Because I, I saw him smoking later and was like, oh, that's like to signify that her being a bad influence on him. It, but I guess. That could be too. I mean, it's. He's definitely kind of, she's already becoming an influence in his life at that point. So that could be like the initial like downfall. The one thing I noticed when you're talking about him 
like just her talking to him for the first time, I noticed that when he kind of rushes through the living room in his parents' house and there's all those people there and they're kind of all just paying attention to the, you know, their friends, or the other people in the room. Yeah. Mrs. Robinson is like turned around on a chair on our sofa and clearly watching him. And she's the only one whose eyes are on him as he goes oh. upstairs. And you can just kind of see, you can see her come in. I mean, I've seen the movie before. Right. And I didn't, I don't know that I noticed, I didn't know this or notice this the first time I watched it, but I knew what her face looked like. So the second I saw her face, I just saw her and she was clearly right. staring at him. And then of course goes upstairs right after him. It was almost as if she was waiting for him or waiting for her opportunity. Yeah. She did. I mean, in the beginning of this movie, she definitely has like a predatory feel to her. He's very awkward. He says he wants to leave a lot. He's not trying to be around her. And she kind of keeps, you know, pulling him back in figuratively. Yeah. You wonder if it's more like if her initial, like why she's interested in pursuing him is her husband and his father, both partners. Right. Sounds like in a law firm or of some kind. Or right, partners. right. So I wonder if it's in some way of getting, because she clearly does not like her husband. So I, I wondered if it was, if that was some way of her getting back at yeah. her husband by sleeping with her husband's partner's son. Right. And she does say later on that they have separate bedrooms. So it sounds like there was already trouble or something yeah, going yeah. on there. So yeah, maybe she's trying to get back at her husband or trying to get back at Mr. Braddock. So Mr. Braddock... By the way, I guess we can talk about the actors a little bit. Mr. Braddock is played by William Daniels, who probably most people know as Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Mm -hmm. Mr. Robinson is Murray Hamilton, who I thought might have been in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which we watched a couple episodes ago, but um, I don't think he was in there. I think he reminded me of the like the son in that movie who was always like dancing uh, oh yeah, you know what they do kind of look like. But uh, he's he's in, like he was in uh, Amityville Horror. He was in Jaws. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was the um, he was the mayor in Jaws. And uh, who's the guy who's in the background in one of these scenes? It was uh, Richard, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. yeah, that was very random. Well, I mean, he was the beginning of his career. Yeah, yeah, but he he has no speaking line really. He's just in the background. Uh, but the guy who's the head of that house, which is just like a boarding house where Ben ends up staying later is uh, the actors Norman fell who played Mr. Roper on three's company, which I thought is kind of weird. He's playing almost like a landlord here and a landlord there. So maybe that's typecasting. I don't know, but it could be, it could have been typecast, but follow me on this. Cause this is like a weird little, uh, uh, circle of life thing. I noticed. So Elaine Robinson, the daughter is played by Catherine Ross one of the first things I think I ever saw her in movie-wise was the movie Donnie Darko, which is one of my favorite movies. She is Donnie's therapist in that movie. I'd like to try something new this time. Have you ever been hypnotized? Oh, yeah. She's, she's a little that. older in that movie. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. So Paul Simon wrote most of the songs for this movie. Paul, si- Paul Simon has a son, Harper Simon, who's also a musician. Harper Simon has a song called Berkeley Girl. She is juniper and roses. She is amethyst and pearl. And though she makes her home in Hollywood, she's really just a Berkeley girl. And Elaine in this movie, again, played by Catherine Ross, is away at Berkeley for most of the movie. Although Harper Simon's song is, as far as I know, is has nothing to do with this movie. And if you look at the lyrics, it really has nothing to do with it. But the video for that song features the actress Jenna Malone, who was in movies such as The Hunger Games, but was also Donnie's girlfriend in the movie Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko? What the hell kind of name is that? It's like some sort of superhero or something. What makes you think I'm not? <laughs> what? That is completely ridiculous. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. It all it all comes together. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to pause and let that let everyone like rewind <laughs> a little bit to play that back and figure out what the circle of life connection is. But as far as the actors go, was was there anybody else that kind of like jumped out at you or any I mean, those are really the major I guess Ben's mother, so Mrs. Braddock, 
She doesn't have a whole lot of lines. She's uh, Elizabeth say- Wilson, and she was in she was in The Birds, the original The Birds, mm. um, and then like some older movies like Catch Twenty Two, Nine to Five, and I believe she was in the uh, original Catch Twenty Two was directed by Mike Nichols as well. Yes, and I think somebody else from this movie was in that, but she was also in uh, the the first Adams Family movie. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, we can talk about. I mean, Mike Nichols is a pretty well celebrated director. I mean, his first movie was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes. He then directed this movie, and then I think he directed a few. I mean, he directed all, he's directed a lot of movies, but he directed. Um, he did Catch Twenty Two. He did, Catch did Working Girl. He did Working Girl. Yes. Cage. Uh, he did The Birdcage. He also did Regarding Henry, which is a very underrated movie with mm, Harrison Ford and Annette Benning. He did Charlie Wilson's War more recently. Yep. Aaron Sorkin. Interestingly enough, hold oh. on, quick second. Regarding Henry, written by J.J. Abrams, it was the first oh, movie really? that he wrote. Yep. It's Have you seen the trailer movie. for the new J.J. Abrams World War II movie? Yes. Which I thought was like, great, here's another World War II movie, which is exactly what we need with vampires, I guess. I don't know if that's a spoiler. Uh, I thought but it was zombies. But if you watch the trail, yeah, there's definitely I thought like, it looked terrible, so I didn't really plan on. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll see that. But um, so Mike Nichols also directed the, I think it was made for TV movie Wit, which is based on oh, yeah. the book Wit and the, the Broadway play, play yeah. Wit. I've seen the movie one. Very, I mean, the whole story is sad, but like, yeah. man, that's a rough, rough movie. Uh, to watch. Yeah, I actually read the play in college. It's a very good play. Yeah. Oh, so one comment I wanted to make about his, you know, the movies that he's directed is: Have you seen the movie Working Girl? Is that no? That's not Dolly Parton. She's in nine to five. No, it's um, what's her face? Um, Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith. I haven't seen it. Uh, and Sigourney Weaver and Harrison Ford. No. So what's really? Good, it's actually a good movie. I mean, it's a good like solid eighties movie, like romantic comedy type yeah, thing. Yeah. But what's really interesting is the way that it uses music. Hmm. So it uses the Carly Simon song. Um, Let the river run. Yes. So, but the way that it uses this, it reminds me a lot of The Graduate, where The Graduate is kind of Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. There's really three songs, and it's them kind of scoring everything, and they use versions of those songs, even like the one scene where the music's playing and the car runs out of gas, and it's like the guitar like It slows down, yeah. But what's cool about Working Girl and then what I like about that movie is the way that he uses this one song to score the entire movie. So whether it's sung, like it's the recorded version, or it's like an organ playing it, or it's just like hmm. a or like a synthesizer playing the music, and throughout the entire movie, it's it's that it's you know the music from that song. A lot of times, the main riff kind of playing in right, you know to right. kind of go along with each scene. So I think it's it's really cool. I mean. I could be wrong, but um, I, I swear that it's actually the only s- music that's used throughout that is versions of that melody that's used throughout it, so throughout the movie. It doesn't have a lot of music because it's a romantic comedy, but um, it's worth watching just to see how that was done because I thought that was very impressive. Harold and Maude, which we watched, also oh, right. kind of it was similar. Yeah. That was all like Cat Stevens right. music, not related to Suvian Stevens, as I originally said in that episode, but it was... Like all his songs and also kind of about rich kid who doesn't necessarily like his life and gets a fancy car and that, mistreats So it. that one definitely more uh, goes with the description you gave at the very beginning <laughs> of, of us talking. Yeah, but I felt what I felt to the graduate. more. I felt worse for Harold in Harold and Maude than I feel for Ben in this movie. Well, true. I mean, his mother in, is kind of insufferable. So Harold... Harold's mother. So I think right. that's kind of where you see it. One thing I want uh, the other movie that Mike Nichols um, directed, uh, he directed this before he, he, his last movie, which was uh, Charlie Wilson's War, right, was right. Closer with Natalie Portman, oh, yeah, yeah. Jude Law, Clive Owen, and was Nicole Kidman in that? 
No, Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Yeah, it wasn't no. Um, that was a play too. Another good, good movie. That was pretty interesting. You talked about um, Ben Scuba suit gift earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, his dad's making like a big deal. Like Ben, you don't see Ben right away, but his dad's like outside. Like, Dad, can we just talk about this for a second? I can't hold him much longer, Ben. You better get out here. I like to discuss this. It really reminded me of the scene from a, a Christmas Story. Oh yeah. Oh, isn't that sweet? Ralph, go upstairs and try it on. I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. It kind of made me wonder, like, when did a Christmas story came out? Come out, but that was '80s, like early oh, '80s. Oh yeah, I that think, was the '80s. So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, that also kind of—I don't know if that scene is meant to be symbolic, because Ben comes out in the suit. And you kind of, you're looking at the world from Ben's point of view behind the scuba mask and he can't hear anything. Um, He sees people, you have that like muted underwater type sound. And then he jumps in the pool and just kind of sinks to the bottom and he's just laying there. I kind of got the feeling that's like him leaving college, kind of cut off from the world and he just jumps in. He's like thrown into life and just like sits around there like he doesn't know what to do. I don't know if that was the intent in that scene, but I think it kind of I mean, it seemed very strange to just like that had nothing to do with anything else. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that just embodies him being lost, and and why I think I like I you know people will say oh the theme song to this movie is you know the song Mrs. Robinson, but it's really not the theme no. song to this movie is the Sound of Silence. Yeah, the movie starts with it, and he's just kind of what I think is really interesting about that opening scene where he's kind of on the uh, the people mover. They could have easily just had the song playing, but they included the background audio in that as well. Yeah. Where there, you don't that. see really anyone passing him, any other people. It's just him. But you hear the announcements from the airport like going on in the yep. background. Yeah, the constant repeated like instructions. And then throughout the movie, there's those moments where he kind of like he, it's the scuba thing where he goes you know, underwater. Um, later when he's floating on the raft and he, his parents are swimming around him, he sticks his head in and then he falls in and he's underwater and it's all silent. Right. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. the there's the parts where he's which kind of gets into some of the cinematography that I wanted to talk about about the movie but there's the parts of where he's like where it's the kind of the montage of him having the affair with Mrs. Robinson where it's he's just it's just him staring at the camera and it's just cutting into different yeah. types of scenes there was a, a lot of video transitions there that were kind of clever especially for that time I would say uh yeah th- so those are called match cuts where you match the frame from one scene to another frame where he, the one that jumps to mind is where he's kind of like jumping out of the water of the pool. And he jumps on. He's he's like jumping onto the bed. There's uh, or a lot of the ones where even if it's just him staring straight ahead and he has the black background behind his head and it's cutting to he's in different locations. Right. Um, or he like, he, he like opens the door to walk out and he walks, he's like in the bathroom and then he's walking out into the bedroom and, they that did it with the audio as well in a couple scenes. They where did, yeah. He's talking to his mother uh, where she comes in and she's asking him like, Darling, I'm uh, going to ask you something, but you don't, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. What? Well, I'm going to ask you what you do when you go off at night. And then she leaves and he's saying, Oh, wait. Wait a minute. Will you wait a minute, please? And then it cuts to, he's like in... The, in yeah. the room with Mrs. Robinson then saying, wait a minute. That was like a weird transition too. There were a lot of interesting transitions like that, but also some weird shot choices. There was a lot of, there were a lot of shots that were shot between things or like looking between yes. things. The very first one was like looking under Mrs. Robinson's leg at yep. him. And then there was another one where, there's, I mean, there's ones where they're shooting through the bushes. There's one where he sees a lane and they zoom in on a lane through the fountain. Yep. There's like the one where it's the reflection of him on the table. Yep. There's the other things too, where even like in the scuba mask where he's, where he's walking out and he's got the scuba mask on and it's, you can just hear him breathing and yeah. you're like, you know, the frame is closed down cause you're looking through the mask. So it's just this little window. Yeah. A lot of that, there are a lot of weird shots I guess not weird, but just interesting choices. That was almost the style of that movie. Yeah. To me, it almost was like they were. It was like trying too hard. I felt like those really stood out to me. Well, and I feel like that was. There were other movies that were kind of shot similarly in that time, 
era? Yeah, definitely a 60s, 70s thing. Uh, also, the zooming. Yeah. There's a lot of zooming, yeah, which yeah. is not something you really see. If you no. see it in movies nowadays, it's Steven Soderbergh like, shooting a, a movie, and he's trying to get that or 60s, it's, 70s Or it's CGI feel. in like, an Avengers movie. Where it's not a real camera zooming, but like maybe like Iron Man's flying around and the camera like zooms in on him from action yeah. on the ground. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's like a video game, really. Right, right. Yeah, it's really not used in the way that he's, he's, he, uh, that a lot of directors used it back then. There was another uh, weird cinema thing where the first, first time Mrs. Robinson's kind of seducing him, where she tells him to go get her purse downstairs. Benjamin. Yes? Will you bring up my purse before you go? I have to go now. I'm sorry. I really don't want to put this on again. Won't you bring it up? Where is it? On the table in the hall. He comes back upstairs into Elaine's room. I think he's looking at the portrait of Elaine. Something that has glass Mm -hmm. on it. And you kind of see the reflection of Mrs. Robinson coming into the room behind him. And she's naked at that point. He spins around. And the camera does a lot of like real quick flashes not even a second like a quarter of a second on mrs robinson naked and then it's right back to ben's face and it does it a lot then while he's talking to her like what are you doing what why are you where are your clothes and it'll like quick flash to her body and back to his face but so quick i felt like that was to give the impression of him like he's looking up he's trying not to look at her right but it looks like maybe his eyes keep darting down and that's that's what the camera's doing yeah yeah that was i mean that was kind of clever uh, at first, I'm like, "What? What is the? What are they doing? Like, this is a really weird choice." I'm like, "Oh, I, I think I get it. Stylistically, you're like the same way. We're looking at his mask at the pool. We're yep. kind of looking through his eyes." Yeah, it didn't pull me out of the movie, but there were weird choices like that. One other scene that I thought was kind of funny that stood out to me was the scene uh, towards the end of the movie when he's driving and it's pouring rain, and he goes to pick up. He's coming to pick up Elaine, and Mr. Robinson mm-hmm. comes. What just something that I noticed was that it's clearly not raining and outside. sunny outside, and they clearly have a yeah. rain machine like over the car and over everyone. Yeah. It was just, it was definitely not like it was bright sunlight. When she ran into the car to get in, the sidewalk was wet, so maybe they had the the rain extended there. But they're talking in the car, and behind, it's clearly sunny outside behind the car. Oh yeah, they definitely had like a, a just you know rain machine above them. Yeah. So when when I see stuff like that in a movie, that makes me wonder like, okay. It was a choice to have this scene shot in the rain. It wasn't actually raining outside and they just had to shoot in the rain. Right. So what is the what are we getting out of having the rain there? And I don't know if we're getting anything about having the rain at that moment, but then he he jumps out of the car while it's running and runs into the house to find Elaine. And I think the added effect of the rain falling down is just like he is so intent on going to tell Elaine what's happening before she hears from Mrs. Robinson because Mrs. Robinson kind of threatens him at that point. Like, you are not to see Elaine again ever. Those are my orders. Is that clear? Mrs. Robinson, do you think I can make things quite unpleasant? How? In order to keep Elaine away from you, I am prepared to tell her everything. And he immediately jumps out of the car and goes running to tell Elaine kind of before the mom can get there. And he's just dripping wet and she comes in and she's dripping wet. And that could be another signifier then to Elaine. She's putting two and two together. He never actually says, I had an affair with your mom, but he says, I have to tell you something. What is it? That woman. What? That woman, that older woman that I told you about. You mean that one? Yes, the married woman. That wasn't just some woman. What are you telling me? Benjamin, will you just tell me what this is all about? And he's, he's wet. She looks through the door. Her mom is, is still like soaked from the rain yeah. so obviously they were together yeah it's all it's all I mean, a dramatic it's, device yeah i don't know no no i think it makes perfect sense it allows like you just said it, it allows the characters to kind of observe and make realizations and there's no words uttered they just he, yeah. she just looks at him sees he's wet turns around why is my mom soaking wet two and two together and it's just even her facial reactions of of it so si- similar to the rain like not being raining in that scene i mean it was you know, a rain machine later on while Ben and Mrs. Robinson are kind of in the later stages of their affair. I think it's the same time where he's asking her to tell him about her past. They have like a little argument and it seems like he's going to leave. And then she's like, no, I'm going to leave. And they're both getting dressed, but then he decides to stay. If you look, the blinds in the room they're in are wide open. And I don't know if that's a mistake because they're both 
pretty undressed at that point. And you can see like what's going on outside the world there. So you assume anybody outside would be looking in uh-huh. or is it supposed to be showing that they've been doing this so long they e- they either don't care anymore about getting caught or they're just so caught up in what they're doing that they're not in the beginning. He is super scared about being alone with her. He's screwing up his lines while he's talking to the hotel clerk about like getting a room. He's like, very adamant that he thinks he's staying by himself and he doesn't want anybody to know she's there. Right. And then fresh. I've got it. Hmm? I say, I've got it, sir. The toothbrush. I got it. All right. Very good, sir. Yes. But then by the end, it's like, they're just going into the same hotel over and over again. And they, yeah. they're, they don't I would really say, care. yeah, I agree. I think they're just kind of, they don't care anymore. It's just the routine of it. That kind of leads into the comedy of the movie too. When he, Elaine kind of wants to go to the bar at that one hotel, which I guess it's the only hotel in the LA. Taft, yeah. Um, and when he goes in, everybody's calling him by the fake name he stays at there. Mr. Gladstone, yeah. Hello. How are you, sir? Good evening, Mr. Gladstone. Hello again. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Gladstone. How are you this evening? Everybody, like, who passes him just seems to know him by name. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. So, this movie was made or distributed by MGM. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is still part of their logo, so they're they're kind of iconic with the lion's head. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then the there's like a film strip maybe uh-huh, going yeah. around the lion's head, and it says "Ars Gratia Artis." Yeah, which means art for art's sake. Yeah, I never noticed that before. Oh no, yeah, that seems like a weird slogan to have for putting out a movie. Like, eh, there's a movie for no, a movie. No, that's not sake. what "Arts for Art's Sake." That's not what that saying means, though. <laughs> it's art. You're doing art because it's art. It's that's it's not right. like they're oh, not trying to make money because, on this, right? But they are. It's it's doing no. I mean the phrase is obviously a Latin phrase, but it's was taken by MGM. I don't. I believe that it was kind of like a colloquial saying, but it's you're you're doing you're making art because it's art, not to make a profit off of it, not right, to right. do it. So yeah, it's a grandiose statement to put on to the studio the logo of a studio that makes movies to make money. Do you know what MGM stands for? Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Mayer, but yeah. Mayer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do they still exist? I know they had like some uh, bankruptcy y- stuff going on. Yes. Um, I mean, they have a gigantic hotel in Las R- Vegas. Yeah. Cause I think they've been producing the bomb yeah. movies of late. So and- the thing with studios is kind of weird. So MGM was one of the, uh, MGM, I think Warner brothers, and what was the other paramount paramount no paramount i think yeah paramount i think those there was probably one more that i'm leaving out but those were three of the bigger in what's called the studio system of movies where you would have these contract like actors would be contracted so if you um you know if you go back into the especially in the studio system kind of ended in the 70s i believe like really ended in the 60s Mm. 70s but back in the 30s 40s and 50s specifically into the 40s and 50s you had these big studios and all the actors were like jimmy stewart and like all these people were right they signed contracts and they did movies for the studio so if you go back and you look at some of the role like the movies that some of these actors did in the 40s and 50s and 60s they were all done they did all of their movies for one of those studios for the most part right is that why so many actors especially then seem like they're always in the same movies with each other uh, like well, maybe I, I if you were in one movie together, you were probably yeah. both contracted under the same company. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually remember seeing a photo once in film class of the MGM actors. It was a huge, like basically like a big class photo. And I remember it because um, Drew Barrymore's father was, because the Barrymore's were oh, famous right, right. actors. I remember he was a um, an MGM actor. And I think like Shirley Temple was in the photo and like, all, I don't know if Clark Gable was in it, but it's just like all these actors in a big class photo type of thing. But yeah, I mean, today, you, I would say you still see that a lot, where a lot of actors end up being in the same movies together. Uh, that has a lot to do with uh, directors. So right, you see, yeah. like, if you Bradley Cooper and like... Jennifer Lawrence in, like, three movies together, and it happens that all three of those movies were done by the same director because they like working with him or her, and they want to, the director likes them, so they want to keep want to keep using them. And didn't the old studios also have their own movie theaters? Yes. Which... I mean, I don't know if like maybe parent companies still might own a theater chain that is somehow related to a movie theater, but 
I don't go to an MGM movie theater to see a movie. I go to Not a anymore. movie tavern. No, no, that I mean, that's like film history 101 type stuff uh, that you learn in like film class. It's sort of like, uh, but I, I don't really remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, there's like a whole story of that and like the studio system breaking down, the monopoly of the movie theaters right, right. and only showing these and then charging this price and then that kind of getting blown out and then they had to show everything and it just this like long process of, of everything. And actually Easy Rider, I think, was one of the first movies that kind of oh, led yeah. to the led to the end of the studio system where it was just more of this indie film that kind of was very successful. But it was just a big challenge for films. I mean, I mean, nowadays independent films are a dime a dozen. They're made all the time with, you know, technologies to the point that you can do a lot of that stuff. But even probably like 30 years ago, it was still really difficult to make a movie outside of the studios. Yeah. I was thinking of, uh, there's a shot in this movie towards the end where, uh, Ben Dustin Hoffman's, driving over the golden gate bridge i think no it's not the golden gate bridge the golden gate bridge is like bright orange that was gray and that and it's like the longest suspension bridge there were right right i mean it's definitely a suspension bridge over some large body of water it wasn't the golden gate though well anyway so the shot is probably from a helicopter Mm -hmm. because it's kind of pulling back and in my head i'm just thinking it probably cost several thousand dollars for that shot especially back then, probably more. Mm-hmm. And like nowadays you'd be like, all right, I need a, somebody to fly a drone and we're just going to do this in an HD shot. Uh, D- depending on how long or how far, you probably could do that with a drone for a couple hundred bucks versus a shot like that. You, uh, 40 yeah, years but ago. not for, even today, those shots are still done by helicopter. Uh, because, uh, yeah, no, they're still, because one, the cameras that, you're going to attach to a drone is not going to be cinema quality. There may be shots that are done in certain movies for effect that are shot on drones, but uh, for I feel the like most you part, could. I feel like you, you definitely could. There's There's got to be some like... We're talking about adding like a 4K cinema camera that for the most part, those cameras are still really large. I don't know. Some of those DJI and, drones are like pretty impressive. Uh, so those helicopters nowadays have like huge... Those helicopters are built. Yeah. They're not just strapping a camera onto a helicopter. They're specifically, camera, built, they're specifically the built just for cinema cameras, and they have a big gyro gyroscope stabilized rig on the front of the helicopter that can spin around. And they're basically they probably kind just of CGI like, the bridge nowadays, anyway. Do maybe even... they probably would, depending <laughs> on the movie. I thought it was kind of ironic that Mrs. Robinson tells Ben she basically got married because she was pregnant. That's the whole reason they got married so young. And then I don't remember the guy's name, but person elaine is marrying his buddies are all joking that they're getting married because she's pregnant yeah was that the same reason that when ben is kind of stalking her and asking how the guy proposed he's shouting like wasn't in his car was it oh yeah that's why yeah because mrs robinson had said something about the car earlier right because they did it in the car and that's how they conceived uh, elaine i mean did he take you up to his room with him did you go to a hotel Oh, Benjamin, what does it possibly matter? I'm curious. We'd go to his car. Oh, no. In the car you did it. But she probably doesn't know that. I think Mrs. Robinson even says something about that, that she doesn't know. Oh, no, Elaine doesn't know that. It's a a joke for Ben himself. So I wrote down a little uh, timeline here of Ben and Elaine. So they had one date. Then the very next day, she finds out the revelation of Ben and her mom. This leads to him kind of stalking her and a rape allegation from Elaine that Ben raped her mom, which then leads to that night, their first kiss, which leads to him pestering her to get married and then a threat from her dad to leave her alone. And then he shows up at the wedding and breaks up their wedding. Yeah. That's not a lot only of do alone time. The they only go on that one date. Yeah, because he he drops her off at the door and says something like, Can we do something tomorrow? All right. During the day, we'll go for a drive or something. Okay. You sure you really want to? Yes. I mean, unless they're, we're cutting past assumed dates, because the next scene is really him in the rain in the car. Yeah. Well, don't forget, they did know each other in high school. So it's not yeah. like they've only met each other once and this was a blind date. So, But he does tell his parents, I mean, he could just be elaborating, but he says, like, 
Look, Elaine Robinson and I do not get along. How do you know? You haven't seen us since high school. Yeah, I think he was just lying. I think he was just making that up. Because clearly, they clearly know each other and would have known each other if their fathers were partners together in a law firm and basically like best friends, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. So chances are they grew up together. Do Ben's parents ever find out about his affair with Mrs. Robinson? I don't think we ever see any scenes. We don't, but I, you could assume that. You would assume his dad being the partner of Mr. Robinson and Mr. Robinson's getting a divorce. You would assume he's on to something, but his parents, when he tells them like, I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson. <laughs> well, well, well. What's happening? Ben says that he and Elaine are getting married. They're like ecstatic, but we've already seen Mr. Robin or yeah, Mr. Robinson and Elaine like leaving Mrs. Robinson at the house. So I assume at that point word of divorce is already being thrown around. But it's like his parents don't seem to know. I mean, for pacing, it makes sense to kind of you'd have to throw another scene in there later in the movie where he'd be coming back. But he kind of you would expect not to see them or not not to be in contact with them because he never comes back home. Yeah. And that's what true. Would his par- it's and if like his parents called him, they, they maybe pa- his parents don't know where he is. His yeah. mom clearly didn't know where he, obviously where he was going every night. So it's not like and he seemed like not to care whether they knew where he was going or not. So. What's the matter to him, I guess, is the thing. There's another scene where he's in the pool and his dad is kind of like getting frustrated with him, just hanging around all the time. He says, Ben, what are you doing? Well, I would say that I'm just drifting here in the pool. Why? Well, it's very comfortable just to drift here. Yeah, that was a good kind of It's like his life. His life. Yeah. yeah. Because he is just comfortable hanging out at home. He has yeah. no plans on his future. And even by the end of this movie, like he breaks up a wedding, they run away together, and then you see their faces start to like realize what they just did. And again, they haven't yeah, thought so this he, through. And I had that thought, but he does smile. Multi- he, his face kind of does get somber at one point when they're on the bus, but he does smile. He smiles, he smiles and then it, it goes gets, somber, yeah. but then he smiles again, which I think was kind of the note that was like, and then it ends like it doesn't end necessarily on him smiling, but he kind of smiles again. So I feel like, yeah, and that kind of leads me to one thing I wanted to that I thought was interesting about this movie is that with the way that it used music, because the film's book ended with the sound of silence. But uh, the be- book end is also book ends. Another song by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. it's a good song. Good fact. But that song builds as it goes on. It, it is kind of a very slow, right. quiet, depressing song at the beginning, but then like the drums come in, the rest of the instruments come in towards the end of the song and kind of give it like an upbeat feeling to right, it. Right. And you see that about three quarters or two, yeah, three quarters of the way through the film where that music like Mrs. Robinson comes in. Once that song comes in, he's on the bridge. That's the first upbeat music that has played in the entire That's movie true. to this point. And then all the way through the rest of the movie, the sound is upbeat. Even when the, um, you know, when he's driving and it's playing the guitar riff and the, it runs out of gas, it's still an upbeat sound. They're just playing along with the car running out of gas. But uh, I, I just thought that was interesting that it, it ends with, it begins with the very somber, you're listening to that sound of silent song and you're, it very, it makes you feel depressed in a way. Right. But in the end, the music comes in and it has that like uplifting feeling to it. It's kind of like Phil Collins in the air tonight, where it's like that very slow <laughs> thing. Do, do, and then... do, 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 do. Right. Yeah. Again, if you're looking at the book sequel as any indication of the intent behind the movie, they stay together and they have kids. But taking this movie on its own, I would wonder like what happens to these two afterwards. Because she, she just got married. She is legally yeah, married. Yeah, she does right? have to get divorced. I don't know if you never actually did the paperwork. Maybe they're not married yet, but so I'm you pretty just, sure you do the paperwork before the before ceremony. Yeah, no, I know, but you never know. You never know. It's a movie. Talking about the Zoom again, real quick. The scene where I think it's the scene where Ben tells Elaine about him and her mom, and then he's leaving the house. There's a shot of Mrs. Robinson still in the corner. She's again like dripping from the rain, and she just says, "Goodbye, Benjamin." But it's a close shot of her face, and then it zooms out pretty far out from her, 
and she's just standing in the corner of the room and it's it's almost like she is shrinking in the in the shot the shot starts off with her like just her face she's like this large thing on the screen Mm -hmm. and then it zooms out and she's this tiny person in the corner of this big empty house yeah after she says goodbye and it's almost like visually she's diminishing but in his life at that point she's now diminished as well because it's over well yeah and it's just showing she's this small person right like what why did she have to i guess if it goes back to what we were talking about earlier was what's her motivation for her not wanting him benjamin to be with her daughter because weirdly uh, the father really wants Benjamin to ask his daughter out, which is kind of an odd thing, I think, for a father to do. Yeah, um, especially after telling him, uh, sow a few wild oats, take things as they come, have a good time with the girls and so forth. Don't get up. I, uh, I was just telling uh, ben. ben here that he ought to sow a few wild oats. Have a good time while you can. You think that's sound advice? Yes, I do. Right, and meet my daughter. And it's like, he's not your son. He's like your friend's son. That's a weird thing to say. I assume with any affair, but especially in this movie, you have to wonder, like, how do they think this is going to end? Like, she's seeing him. She's still married to her husband. A, they're going to get caught. Or B, one of them has to say, no, we, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. And Ben's not going to say it because by that point, he's kind of infatuated with her. Like he's seeing her multiple times over and over again. And she seems like she doesn't care. So no, she doesn't. The only option to ending is they're going to get caught. And right. they kind of, I mean, they didn't get, they caught. don't get caught. I mean, it's clear that um, the daughter tells the father or there's like, you can see. From... Well, Ben comes forward and offers that information. I mean, not to the father, but to Elaine, he tells her like I was, the woman I was telling you about is dot, dot, dot. No, I meant, sorry, I meant the father finding out. Yeah, Elaine must tell him. Yeah, or, but what I meant was, or he tells him or something happens, but because you see the two of them, Elaine and the father, get in the car at one point, and the mother's, like, clearly not. Right. Like, she's kind of just, like, cast out. I thought the story then, it confused me a little, because, so Ben's telling Elaine, before she knows anything about her mom and Ben. Was she married or something? Yes. With a family? Yes, she had a husband and a son. Did they ever find out? No. Later on, her mom must tell her that, oh, Ben tried to rape me. But, like, he already told her the story before that, and he had no reason to be lying about it at that point. The only time we're ever given that information is when Elaine comes to Ben's room up in Berkeley she said that she was having a drink at the hotel with a friend and that you waited for her in the parking lot and told her that she was too drunk to drive home and that you would get her a room for the night. Oh, then what? Then you took her upstairs and you raped her. Oh, no, no, that's not what happened. It seemed weird that she's only mad that she thought Ben tried to rape her mom and not mad that Ben and her mom were sleeping together. That doesn't seem to upset her. It's just the fact that she thought it was rape. Yeah, like, well, either I mean, way, it's upsetting news. I true. Mean, and then, yeah, and then he kind of asks her to marry him. At and one then point. she seems when she out- comes back later, like a couple nights later. He doesn't lock his bedroom door in a public. Like- <laughs> Nobody locks their doors. He didn't lock his door. Mrs. Robinson doesn't lock her door at the house because he just like walks in and she's like, "Hello, get me the police, please." Where is your lane? I'll be with you in a moment, Benjamin. Do you have a patrol car in the vicinity of twelve hundred Glenview Road? Good. We have a burglar here. Just a second, I'll ask him. Are you armed? No, I don't believe he is. Lock your doors, people. Yeah. Especially because earlier in the movie, she's like making a big deal about, I don't like to go into my house alone. Well, that's clearly well, lock your BS, doors. So that's that she why. Gets to him into the house. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. Where Because for Elaine to get into his room, she had to get into that house, go up all the stairs past Mr. Roper or whatever, and get into his room, which was also not locked. Yeah. Seems seem suspicious. Yeah. But overall, I did like this movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Pretty funny. Good music. I'd definitely watch it again. Like you were talking about Mrs. Robinson kind of watching him in that scene at the party. Yeah. I feel like there's probably more things like that that I'd be more, I'd look for that more. Yeah, I think you could probably appreciate more of Dustin Hoffman's acting in it. 
on a second watch too. Like just his neuroticness yeah. and the little bits of humor or like the scene where he, you know, except for he like bangs his head against the wall. Right, right. When they first meet, like just those little things you maybe might miss at one point. So I, I did think it was one of the funnier scenes when their first time alone together at the hotel, she takes her shirt off. And as soon as her shirt is off, Mrs. Robinson, um, and she's just kind of in her bra, he just puts his hand on her breast, like <laughs> just holds it there. He's not doing anything. Yeah. And that's when like, she just kind of like looks at him and then he takes his hand away and then he like, yeah, bangs he goes his head and bangs the wall. against the wall. Yeah. It's like, he obviously is like so uncomfortable being there, but something I didn't like talking about the performance. I don't know if this is, it, it gave me the feeling of like ad lib lines, but especially at the beginning of the movie, there was a lot of somebody says something and then the other person says, what? So it's like, could you come over here? What? I said, could you come over here? Oh, and then the same thing will happen with the other person. Uh, here's your drink. What's that? I said, here's your drink. Like yeah. a lot. And in almost every conversation with different characters, do you write that in? Are you I like, think you do. Yeah. That seems weird. It's like, you're just trying to create filler or are you just showing that people are uncomfortable and that's like a nervous I think tick. it's supposed to be that people are not paying attention to what's going on around them. Yeah. I feel Especially like- Especially when it comes to, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman's character. Well, yeah. Because he did it the most. I noticed that more in like older movies than something that would come out now. Right. It's almost like trying to force natural language. Right. By just going over the top. Yeah. So. But that's really my only only major complaint with dialogue. Otherwise, again, I, I did like this. Yeah. Yeah, great movie. Well, that's it for this episode of Criterion on the Couch. You can find the show notes at criteriononthecouch.com slash thegraduate. Next time, we'll be discussing Election, starring Matthew Broderick and... Reese Witherspoon. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Criterion Couch. And on Instagram, we're at Criterion on the Couch. I'm Adam York with... Jim Massessa. Thanks for listening. See you next time.